What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Pam Jones, a career realtor who began working with buyers in 1983, is that rare needle in a haystack professional. She knows a lot about how to buy and sell residential real estate. We tap Pam's expertise when selling a home in a divorce. She has worked extensively in the luxury property market throughout Northern Virginia, including the prestigious Creighton Farms. She also works with those looking for adult living communities, such as Leisure World here in Loudoun County. Also very active in the community, Pam has been a director at the Loudoun County Chamber of Commerce for nine years, as well as serving as the current chairwoman of Oatlands.org, a historic house and garden in Leesburg. Welcome, Pam. Hi, Bonnie. So good to see you. So here we are. It's April 2021. Life has changed. The real estate market has entered some kind of twilight zone in terms of low inventory, high prices, and bidding wars. But you've seen everything. Share the current landscape with us. Well, in terms of statistics, if that would be helpful, in March of 2020, compared to March of 2021, in March of 2020, we began the month with 734 homes in inventory, listing inventory, 734 last year compared to 238 this year. Oh my goodness. Yes. In all of Loudoun. Throughout the month of March, we this year took 967 new listings, you know, that were added compared to 997 last year. So very similar in the numbers, but comparing last year to this year for under contracts in March, which is really the Finger on the pulse of the market, 873 went under contract this year compared to 695 last year. So, I mean, that's nearly 200 more homes starting out with an inventory that was 500 homes fewer. So that tells me if the electricity is working and they open the door to sell, it's selling. Pretty close, yes. Average days on market right now is 11 days for closings in March. Uh, prices were up 9% over last year, and the average sale-to-list price ratio was 103%. So we have, you know, bidding wars. Yesterday, I sold a home. Actually, I sold two yesterday. One of them started at $600,000, sold for six seventy five with no financing contingency, no appraisal contingency, and no home inspection contingency. You know, as a financial advisor, this hurts my ears a little bit because you just know, I mean, I live in a home. It takes a lot of money to keep the thing going. And I wish we'd known X, Y, and Z when we had paid for our, but then again, we paid for all of those contingencies and I still inherited a home with all kinds of fun issues and turned out to be somewhat expensive. So I don't know, maybe that's the way to go, but where do you see the market going? And <laughs> this is where we are. 
Actually, last, we had quite the jump in new listings this, this month over last month. So what from 603 last month, new on the market to 967 this month. And what that tells me is that there are a lot of folks who were hesitant to list because of COVID mm-hmm. that may be coming into the market this spring. There are also a lot of people, and I have a couple of those clients who we're thinking of moving in the next one to three years and are getting on the bandwagon now rather than waiting for prices to top out and then soften. So, um, well, I was just going to say, do you see people leaving the area or are they moving within the area? Both. Actually, we see people, I've seen a couple who have vacation homes that they've, they've turned into their primaries. So they've sold here and moved to Smith Mountain Lake. One is going to be selling here and moving to Western Loudoun to a farm they already own. Mm. And then there are a lot who, the ones who are trying to sell here and then buy again are the ones really under the stress. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine because uh, I don't even know how you time that where you're putting a house under contract that you're on the hook for now without any of those contingencies. So it's moving quick. And then you got to go home and go, let's get this on the market. Right, right. Well, that's why we plan in advance for those people um, and have their photos done, everything ready to go, because we know their house will sell and probably sell for more than we expected a month ago. Sure. Wow. So what should any sane human, and by sane, I'm putting my color of the advisor on it because I know they're going to live with this home hopefully for a long time. What should they think, say, or do in this market if they're buying? And then I'm going to ask you about if they're selling. What's a strategy? Well, the first strategy is to get all of your financial ducks in a row. You know, make sure you've spoken with a lender, figured out what mortgage loan program works best for you. And some lenders will even do an underwritten loan before you find the right house. So that way you can go in without a, an appraisal, or excuse me, a financing contingency. Then the lender will also help you to determine if you have enough cash to be able to move forward without an appraisal contingency. You know, sometimes if the house doesn't appraise for the high price, and you have no appraisal contingency, you need to be able to make up the difference in cash. So that's tough. But really, the other thought is that you need to be ready to compete. And any great buyer's agent will talk with you about escalation clauses, you know, how to write a winning offer, and then how to pick yourself up and dust yourself off when you don't get the house, and that there's another one that's going to come along. Hopefully. And then there are buyers who have decided to bow out of the market right now. They just are not not in that mental position or not in the financial position to really beat other offers. So. You know, uh, something that keeps coming up when I'm listening to the buyer's woes, which, of course, is who we're hearing from these days, uh, they're in so much pain. They're up against cash buyers. And when I think about some of the people that I'm talking to with these conversations, we're not talking about very expensive million, multi-million dollar homes. We're talking about first homes or second homes that I'm surprised the cash buyer is showing up. So what are you seeing out there with cash buyers? Actually, it's not a high percentage of buyers that are cash buyers. There are those that are putting down 20% and have a few dollars in reserve, 
in case of that low appraisal. And sometimes we see cash buyers thinking that cash is king. But when you've got a well-qualified buyer with financing who's willing to pay more, it doesn't make a difference to the seller. The seller's going to get their money one way or the other. Cash buyer is not a standout in that case. And what's a strategy for a seller? Because one thing I'm hearing about is that sellers will sell you their home without any of those contingencies at a nice high price, and then they'd like to rent back. And by the way, they'd like you to pay their rent. In other words, they don't want to pay any rent while they take your high price with no contingencies. That's happening often, but it's really more the buyer's agents who are structuring that rent back to make it as appealing as possible. And really, you know, they want to rent back for 30 to 60 days. Generally, the buyer doesn't have a mortgage payment for at least 30 days, although, you know, they've wherever they're living now, they're still paying for their, so there's that. So that makes it a little bit easier on them. And then really in the grand scheme of things, if it's a difference in getting the house or not getting the house for one month's mortgage payment, that's not a big price to pay. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Smith Mountain Lake and what some listeners might not realize is how blessed we are in this area to have just that we're within a day's drive of a number of beautiful second home type locations. Is it the same story that you're seeing uh, here in Northern Virginia? Are you seeing that play out in some of these other markets that people are going to? Is it the same sort of fever? It's feverish all over the Washington metropolitan area, but I think less so in some of the resort markets. We're still seeing, you know, higher inventory. It's interesting when I think about River Creek and for many long years, River Creek was really struggling. Now tell our listeners what River Creek is. River Creek's in Leesburg, Virginia. It is a golf course, gated community, really gorgeous. I mean, really gorgeous. Originally, the homes were built in the 1995, started in 95. And so the community is about 25, 26 years old. Some of the original owners were ready to sell, retire, but were not pricing based on what the market would deliver. So it was the attitude of, I'll list at my price. And if somebody gives it to me, great. Well, a lot of houses sat on the market um, and that delayed the sales of those people who were potentially more highly motivated, had a job transfer, you know, some real reason to move. That has completely turned around. River Creek is selling like hotcakes. And part of that is because people are can now work from home. They don't have to live so close in to go to work. So that has turned, you know, that pricing and that activity around. It just in that community. Yeah, when I think about that community, I think of a community that's got pretty much everything like you would not have to leave to go anywhere except possibly the supermarket you've got a restaurant pool tennis a beautiful golf course walking trails i mean you just don't have to leave if you don't want to so that's a i would think that'd be another big selling point absolutely yes it is a terrific community one note though regarding uh, working you know with sellers in the in the area people are thinking more and more this looks really easy but it is not amateur hour. You know, that <laughs> you know, there needs to be a professional in that transaction, especially when there are multiple offers to make sure that all of the terms line up, that the buyer prospects are 
well-qualified. We've had that conversation with the lender and, you know, someone can offer a million dollars for your home, but if they can't qualify for it and don't have the cash, you've got to have somebody who can, you know, really evaluate that and lead you to the best combination of price terms and timing. And people are, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people trying to sell on their own because really most real estate agents at 103% of market value are bringing more than their more than their cost into the transaction. And that's a calculus you always want to do. You're right. I don't see as many for sale by owner sales at all in this market. And I'm a little bit relieved because I think of everything with uh, for sale by owner. I, I think that people have made the calculation, so they're not going to offer more. They've made the calculation of the savings you think you're getting. And you've taken away so much of the protocol. In addition to inviting some safety issues, you have to check out every single buyer. You know, you're taking anyone's license information or their names generally. I mean, it's a lot of work. So that's the next question I have for you is you're, it's not that you're the only person that's working uh, this and has been doing it a long time, but you are one of those real estate professionals that only does this. You've done it for a long time. And we see so many people, like you said, looks easy. I'm going to do it, make a lot of money on the weekends. What's it really like? What it's really like is that it is very hard work. You have to be extremely organized and have, and not be afraid to talk to people. You know, I have a set schedule. I make 20 contacts a day, looking outwardly, talking with people I know, mostly people I don't know. And in order to grow the business. You know, you asked me in your questions how I got started and my mother was a real estate agent for about six years before I got into it. She recruited me in, but I was fortunate to start in a situation where I was an employee rather than an independent contractor, which is the vast majority of real estate agents are on their own, have no paycheck until they do a deal. I was smart enough to get my broker's license very quickly. You have to take have three hours, uh, or excuse me, three years of experience and take 180 hours of coursework and then managed offices from 89 to 99. So I had that base, but then I met my business coach and trainer. And after I learned his teachings and tried to teach my own agents how to use, you know, his systems, I figured out I worked harder than any of the rest of them. So I went out, backed out on my own, promoted myself to salespeople, salesperson. So, and I've just been working on business development and customer service. So you work for Long and Foster. And what does the container of a big firm like that do for you when you work so hard? What do they add to the equation that makes it even better for you? They add, of course, the image of the company that Long and Foster was the largest independently owned real estate company until we were sold on the 50th anniversary to Berkshire Hathaway. We're now part of Home Services of America, which again, just enhances the referral network, the recognition in the community, and our financial stability more than anything. Real estate companies come and go. And a lot of them went out of business during the recession. So Long and Foster never did, as what was it, Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you can tell he's wearing a bathing suit. (laughs) We were fully covered there. (laughs) 
Well, you know, of course, I've moved so many different times, but I had a home on the eastern shore of Maryland at one point in the 90s, and Long and Foster sold that home. It's been around for a long time. Now, you work with Dave, your husband, and you created Extraordinary Transitions, your place inside Long and Foster. So tell us about working with your spouse and why you created that name and just sort of put us, why you put that on the map. Well, read a book called, the title is Peak, P-E-A-K, by Chip Conley. And in that, he talked about taking, building a company that would take you from just you know, doing what everyone else does to building an organization that appealed to not only your customers, but your employees and your investors and create evangelists for that company. And so when I was working on figuring out what I wanted the experience to be for my clients, I wanted it to be a wow. You know, at the end of the sale, they just were like blown away. In fact, I saw fireworks as a part of it, and that's part of our logo. So I want everybody's move to be an extraordinary transition. So then Dave and I are working together. He was in the mortgage business for 14 or 15 years and worked with mm, a couple thousand buyers working with their real estate agents and their clients. So he had already been through the whole financial qualifying process and also talking with people about what they were looking for and listening to their concerns. And so he is just spot on with buyers. You know, it's tough right now helping people understand what they have to do to compete. And he's lost a deal or two to other other buyers over the last three or four months. But, you know, when he wins, he there's a lot of work that's gone into it. So he works with the buyer side. And then I use the systems I've learned from my coach to prospect for seller clients and then be and built a structure for those sellers that not only shows them what their house is worth in the market, you know, tell them the truth about it. So many agents just will take a listing at whatever price without really qualifying the sellers, the homeowner for what they want. You know, what is your motivation? Where do you want to go? Is this truly something you need to accomplish right now? And so we work with each other's strengths. So when we have, for instance, we recently have a, a young couple who went to sell their townhouse to buy a single family. We got the townhouse under contract and they wrote three different offers on properties at the same time. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they got one of them. But yeah, it was tough. Although it turns out the one they finally won is better than the so, rest of them. Anyway. Good, good, good. So, well, what do you see as being really important in the future for residential housing? I'm thinking about access to metro in our area seems to be a hot spot. Open space around people seems to be a hot spot, or you know, something we were looking for but had to build inside this home two offices. We had one, we needed two. What do you think as sort of the trends? Well, for the last year, people have had to have two offices and school space. And uh, so when they are moving, they are moving to a house that has one more bedroom than they need or the finished basement. And um, millennials, it's interesting because they're ready for the larger homes. For the longest time, they were like, I don't know why you want to live in a house like that. And now, you know, they have the wife and kids and her you know, spouse and children and 
They need that bigger space and they understand that. And the fun thing is that boomers are just ready to downsize. So it's a nice trade. Yeah, I'm sure. In fact, I think we've had this conversation over coffee or wine in the past. You know, what do boomers do with all their big houses? And they are. So maybe that's a lucky thing. Well, and yeah, I think there was a lag in Loudoun County, particularly of prices rebounding from the recession, partly because there were so many McMansions, so to speak. Those are now selling well because there's a bigger target audience for them with these growing yeah, families. Yeah, and um, I'm sure this is happening in lots of metro areas, but we are building fast and furious to keep up with demand, like like probably every area. So I, I feel like some of the new prices on the new housing might take a little while to, to get ripe if you have to sell again in a few years. But I'm also interested in the way space is used inside the homes. And in our intentional spending wheel with clients, we actually call the home sanctuary. But what are some of the coolest things as you go through all these homes? It's a little voyeuristic, right? You get to see some really amazing things. And what are some of the things that are still a little bit of a question mark in your mind? You're like, I just can't believe they put that in their homes. What kinds of things are you seeing? You know, there haven't been as many changes to the old housing stock as you would think. The ones that are kind of most interesting are the additions, you know, the screen porch or the enclose the deck and have like the full wall of sliders. So you're really bringing outdoors inside. That's happened a lot. Kitchen remodels, you know, a lot of that going on. I still can't figure out why somebody would remodel their kitchen and keep their double sink. fix that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, kitchen and bath remodels, lots of freestanding tubs. You know, they're taking out that big corner, massive, whatever, island of a bathtub and, you know, making a big shower. I can't get into any kind of tub easily, but I figure like that's a reflection of my ears, right? But so millennials must enjoy the soaking aspect of that. I, the other thing I remember seeing when we were looking was the rainforest rain shower. Oh, yeah. Yep, there's still some of that going on. I think that's more of a personal preference. Those get changed out occasionally. So, but you know, there are a lot of new electronics controls, you know, things like that, that more and more people are using. It's just not at the top of the wow list, the emotional wow factor. So um, this has always been helpful to us when we move into a new area, which I've done too many times. Now you've got to start looking around for all the people you need help with things, right? So why is a realtor the best person for getting a plumber or a financial advisor after Because I mean, what is your, you just have such a deep bench. Talk about that. Well, I've been a member of the Loudoun Chamber since 2002 and um, just have worked really hard to build relationships to help build my business. And at the same time, gotten to know a lot of really great contractors and other folks, other businesses. And what you see is the consistency of performance. You know, for those people who are in the chamber, they work hard for our clients because they want to continue that business relationship, that, you know, that referral relationship, and they want to retain our trust. So when we have another client, you know, they're the first on the list to call. So yeah, we're great resources for just about anything. And if I don't know someone, I can 
I can certainly research and find sure. the right person. So I've bought and sold more than 15 homes and they've been a real mix of places. But my personal experience is that a great realtor is just essential to the satisfactory outcome, whether that you're buying the house for personal or investment use. And my grandfather on my mom's side was actually a really successful local real estate guy. And he used this thing called a pocket listing way back in the day. And he was a real go-getter in terms of drumming up business. But I know about how hard you work to get your name out there and to get people moving when they say they're ready to go. But why are sales skills special? I think they're completely underappreciated. I'm married to a salesperson. And how does that help you? In re- Can anybody do residential real estate who does not have sales skills? They can learn them. In fact, I did. I was a semi-dismal failure for oh, about 11 years. years. Oh, that's here. That'll be encouraging to people. Right. Well, what I did was I was in a various office situations where either the broker really did not know how to teach sales skills or I was observing what other agents did and mimicked them, not realizing that, oh, yeah, they might sell a house or two every now and then. So when I started working with this training firm, one of the things we did first was set a goal, a crazy goal, like a sell three houses a month goal. And it's not that hard when you have a system. But the most important skill in selling is listening, you know, asking specific questions about what people want to accomplish if it's, you know, and is this the right time? What are their expectations for the value of their property or for the what they want to have in a home based on their price range. And then just determine the level of motivation. You know, you know that there are people who are just not motivated. They talk a lot, but they're just not motivated to do something. And so my ability to assist them and deliver to the services to solve their needs is great, but I um, I also am very selective in who I work with and occasionally fire a client because, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't hear lack of motivation or the desire for a price that wasn't achievable in the market. And the other thing about being a great salesperson is I don't accept a no when a yes is still possible. You know, just keep talking to people and asking the questions and, oh, well, now's not good. When do you think it's going to be the right time? Great. I'll call you back. Stay in touch. And I stay in touch with all my people about once every quarter. Well, and some sales are probably harder than others. And, you know, we do a lot of divorce work. You've worked with us in that space. And the people in that event are under incredible stress. You could have other family changes, widow, widowhood. When you have a situation like that, does anything change about the process? What should those people be thinking about in terms of If their goal is to sell, what should they be thinking about? Well, the one thing they should be thinking about is cooperation with each other. Whether you hate your soon-to-be ex-spouse or have a positive relationship, but, you know, want to maximize the money out of the sales transaction, that's great, but you also need to be realistic about it. And doing silly things like missing payments can have an incredibly negative effect, maybe not on the sale of this property, but certainly on the purchase or rental of the next property. So that's such an important consideration in this 
unfortunate situation. So, you know, you've seen so many different markets. We're in a seller's market at this moment. And of course, it'd be lovely if you're a seller, if it lasted forever. But, you know, markets don't last forever. How fast have you seen markets change? And is someone better off waiting out this market from your perspective or just there's no winning that bet? How, how do you think about market changes? How fast can they change? And should someone out well the only person i mean if there is true motivation and need and you know that psychological need to have a different space keep in mind that the tide raises all boats and so if you're waiting for your house to appreciate to a certain level before you sell the one you're going to buy is appreciating at that same rate and the same thing with you know markets moving down so Unless you're moving to a completely different market area, there's no reason to wait. Interest rates, you know, are going to affect both the buyer of your home and the purchase of your next home. You know, right now, rates are still terrific. They've crept up a little bit. We're still in the three to three and a half percent range. And it's just easy you know, it makes buying a home yeah. so much Yeah, we say the same thing to clients. Um, a lot of times people will count the value of their home and their net worth. And one of our thoughts is you always have to pay for shelter. So unless your shelter is going to look dramatically less expensive, then you wouldn't necessarily include that in something you can use. But the other thing we see is that when people do downsize, they're buying beautifully appointed properties because they've earned it and they also have some aging needs. And so all in, it's the same price. Exactly. Yes, that happens very often. Go ahead, finish that thought. <laughs> well, just in the, you know, and wanting to downsize your monthly cost sometimes does not happen. <laughs> Including going to other areas, you want to do all that math. Well, gears, I know enough about some things that have happened to you to know that you've hit some speed bumps, whether it was losing a beloved family member or a tough client in, or just the housing market driving you crazy. How do you get through tough times? Well, one thing I figured out eventually is that I am not unique in that, that everyone has their trials and tribulations. I just don't know their story and they don't know mine. So, you know, that I have my coach has taught me to live by four rules, which are show up, pay attention, tell the truth to myself and to others, and then don't be attached to the outcome. And if you just keep going every day and, you know, do everything you can in a positive way, you can't help but improve. So situation. you give a lot back to the community. How do you choose which organizations you're going to work with? Well, the Loudon Chamber was sort of an accident, but that's been my major relationship. My broker, my boss back in 2002 was new to the area. And he says, oh, you know, I was a chamber member in Vermont. We need to join this one. So I did. And I don't, I'm a very shy person. I know that sounds weird because you've known each other, but yes. And so I would, in order to at least have the opportunity to talk to people, I would stand by the beer instead of standing back in the corner. And Larry Miller, if you know Larry, <laughs> Larry took me under his wing and introduced me to everyone in the chamber. So it's really become my family. You know, my friends and family, I was yeah, 18, 19 years of this, and I've joined other organizations based on the relationships I've built there. So, and the people who 
ask me, you know, to like show up. I did Loudoun First Responders Foundation for a while. And, you know, I've supported other committees and other organizations in the county just based on those relationships and people. So you recruited me to the board of Oatlands.org and a lot of good things have happened in your tenure as chair on that board. What should people know about Oatlands? Well, Oatlands has an amazingly rich history and we are diving deep into how to present that to the public. You know, most of what people's perception has been that it's been a place where rich landowners and society people were the inhabitants of the property, but there is a an amazingly rich history regarding the people who were enslaved on the property as well. And we'll hear more and more about that over the next several months. And it is just a stunningly beautiful, peaceful place with a terrific history of gardens and trees and it's overwhelming sometimes to really think about it. So I just think that people should come and just walk around. It's $10 for a, a day pass. Just come and walk around and fall in love with crazy things like the the greenhouse. That's you know, the second oldest working greenhouse in the eastern United States. And the gardens are being completely cleaned up, renovated. They are spectacular. It's a, just a great place. It is. Well, you've had some really fun events there, too. Talk about the dancing one. Oh, yes. Last year during COVID, Dance King Studios and Adam King did outdoor dance lessons on Saturday nights, couples lessons. It was $50 a couple. You bring your picnic dinner, and then they had it spaced out, socially distanced on the terraces in the garden. It was so much fun. And they taught salsa and cha-cha and swing. It was Terrific. Just a great opportunity. Yeah, what I saw that looked like some of the old movies, it looked beautiful. And we're actually um, interviewing Caleb Schutz, who is the CEO of Oatlands, in another podcast. So I look forward to sharing that with our listeners as well. The one final question, everyone experiences time differently. I always feel like time is short or running out, knowing that everyone has whatever time they have and not one day more. Is there a story you can share with our listeners about how you, Pam, know that this is not a dress rehearsal? Eye-opening lesson for me when I first started working with this coaching company, which has become, again, another family of agents all over the country is about being in control of our emotions. Most real estate agents' emotional landscape looks like a Richter scale during an earthquake. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just buyers and sellers. (laughs) No, no. I mean, real estate agents, if they don't have a solid plan and a uh, plan of action, just like any other business person, you're just waiting for things to happen and it doesn't. It just doesn't. So I learned that when I could keep my emotions instead of being that Richter scale, you know, just a little bit, keep it between the lines. That made a huge difference. It gave me the opportunity to put positive thoughts in my head and learn to listen to people and then, you know, recognize that really life is a numbers game. And the more people you get to know, the richer your life is. So I guess that's my lesson on how this is not a dress rehearsal. Just meet people, enjoy who they are, and 
and take the best you can from every situation. I love that. Thank you, Pam, for your time, your insights, and your wisdom. We wish you continued health, happiness, and great success. If you'd like to learn more about Pam and how to get that next home bought or sold, reach out to her at longandfoster.com forward slash Pamela Jones. Thanks, Pam. Thank you, Bonnie. It's been my pleasure. This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.